Does your love for online shopping mean you're addicted? Or has that nightly glass of wine turned from a nice to have to a need to have? In this podcast, licensed clinical professional counselor Mike Tozer from Sarah Bush Lincoln will talk about addictions and the driving factors that fuel them. He'll also address symptoms of addiction, such as problems at work or school, withdrawal from daily activities, and changes in mood or behavior. Don't go away. We'll be right back with more after this. We're a community. Every day we work together and we play together. We laugh together and we care together. Every day we look out for each other. We help each other get better, to live better. We're a community and this is our health center. Sarah Bush Lincoln, trusted, compassionate care right here, close to home. Welcome to Health Styles, the podcast, everyone. This is your host, Lori Banks, and I'm here with Mike Tozer, licensed clinical professional counselor at Sarah Bush Lincoln. And we're talking today about addiction. And Mike, I want to start by having you define actually what is addiction. Okay, so according to the American Society of Addictive Medicine, their definition is addiction is a treatable chronic medical disease involving complex interactions among brain circuits, genetics, the environment, and an individual's life experiences. People with addiction use substances or engage in behaviors that become compulsive and often continue despite harmful consequences. So not only does this define substances, but it can also define other what we call addictions or even what's better known as process addictions, such as spending, gambling, sex, food, even um, work can be in the category of what they call process addictions, where you don't always have a particular substance involved. Um, And even where, like with substances, you can cease the use of substances, but if you cease the use of eating, (laughs) you're going to have another problem on your hands. So most people have to work. (laughs) Most Most people have to shop, even if it's for groceries and clothes like there are behaviors associated with treating addiction that people still have to engage in but they still um, have to factor in or have to know that if they have an addiction to it how they're going to do those behaviors without relapsing continuously or continuing to have problems with it. So let's talk about some of the signs of addiction. Obviously, some are easier to spot than others. If someone has an alcohol substance, you you can kind of tell. There are inward, you know, outward signs that someone may be abusing alcohol. But in general, let's talk about some of those signs. So usually if you increase the use of something, in other words, if you increase your spending or if you increase your eating or even decrease your eating, if there's with eating, that's you know, it's one or those, one or the other. It could be both. But usually when you see an increase in the use of something to get a certain effect, that's one thing. Usually if there's a physiological response to 
um, the ceasing of that behavior. Even with spending money, there are physiological... Such as your mood will drop, mm-hmm. um, you will f- could feel irritable. You could notice anxiety, such as your heart, you know, your heart beating a little more, being a little bit more on edge. So you will can have physical responses if you stop your shopping, you know, or you stop your gambling, or if you try to stop sex for the moment. Like you will see even physical withdraw from ceasing certain behavior you know certain behavior um so those are those are two primary ones if you continue if you continue to do the behavior in spite of the knowledge of there's physical consequences to it or there's psychological consequences so for example if with substance use we know if you continue to to drink more and more and more you're going to have physical problems. High blood pressure would be one of them, maybe heart problems. And even though you get diagnosed as having those problems because of your drinking, people may still continue to drink. Um, Or if you know that you engage in too much spending and that causes you to be depressed or causes a depression or anxiety, but you still continue to use it, like that's another sign of addiction if it interferes with your day-to-day life like if it interferes with work if you can't show up to work on time or if you can't show up to work at all if your work performance decreases you know for students it's their schoolwork do their grades drop you know do they not show up for class for you could also with relationships you have a series of you know, relationships where you can't function or that you, you know, that go poorly, that that ends in constant breakup. Mm-hmm. So you, it usually will, that's another indication of, those are four really strong indications of like what you're doing could be a real problem. Okay. So let's talk about how an addiction can progress from maybe something starts off as a habit or a hobby. So here's a good example. During COVID, many of us started shopping online and that habit or hobby, depending on how you want to identify it, has has continued. So how does one know or see that this maybe progresses? It starts as maybe out of necessity and then all of a sudden it becomes a habit and then maybe it turns into an addiction. So I think, you know, you talk about hobby you know, hobby is something that we enjoy doing. You know, is it necessary per se? No, but in some respects it may feel necessary for our own well-being or it's our mental health or, or whatever the case may be. But it's something that is an enjoyment. So we may enjoy going online and shopping for certain things or looking for, for specific things when it comes to shopping. But then it can become a habit. You find that, like, let's say you get home from work and you feel like you get online again and you start going through through various, you know, sh- shops. You know, Amazon is the most popular by far. But you feel like, and you feel like if you don't, you feel a little bit of edginess or, or a little anxiety maybe 
or it's hard to get away from it to do other things, but you still can. You can still pull yourself away and do the dishes, take care of the responsibilities of the night or, or do whatever. But where, where it begins to cross the line is shopping is a, is a very interesting one because this is what I hear from people with shopping is if you, they start ordering things and they may not even open the boxes. <laughs> they may just start storing them away. I mean, in closets. They have clothes with tags on them that are never worn. You know, you start to just shop because you're getting an effect from it. It's starting to dominate your life. And what usually follows is financial difficulties. You know, more and more credit cards, bankruptcy. So when you start to transfer into, like it's providing you with a change in your mood, it's providing you with a buzz, then you start to see, like, that's, that's, a, that's a problem, that's problematic. Like, yeah, we can feel happy if we buy something we've been saving for. You know, if I'm saving up for a certain computer and I finally get enough money and I buy it, sure, I'm going to feel happy and I'm going to be like, it's like any new thing that you want, you know, you, you can't, you know, you get anticipation and you can't wait for it. But it's something that you set aside money for and you took the time. With a shopping addiction, you don't you usually don't set aside money or whatever. You're into the quickness of it or the quick fix of it. And that's where you begin to look at knowing that it's, that it's a problem because those two things are different. Saving for something and getting it and being happy is different than getting a quick fix and getting that buzz because that's a very short-term and very short-lived, and you, the process starts all over again. Yeah. You had talked earlier, Brett, and I want you to kind of expand upon what you said process addictions. It's the first time I've heard those two words put together. So really, what define what's a process addiction then. Okay. So um, a process addiction, um, they're, they're addictions that are habitual, and provide people with an emotional high. They keep them engaged in the behavior. To be very honest, if you if you anybody's ever had Psych 101 and studied Pavlov, it's very similar. Like it's like a bell ringing whenever you do something that you want, you begin to associate high with shopping, you begin to associate sex with you know, a high, like, because there is, there's certain aspects when there are things physiologically like eating or sex. Um, Yeah, you get a lot of pleasure in those, but then you begin to associate that a lot of times with, you know, removing things that are unpleasant in your life. So whenever people start to experience things unpleasant, they'll turn to this behavior. So there's some Pavlovian um, things going on with that, but um, they're usually compulsive in nature. You know, when we think of obsessive compulsive disorder, a lot of times we think of certain what they would consider quirky behavior, or you know, things like hand washing or counting things or stuff like that. But the, the compulsions we're talking about with these type of addictions is the need or the desire to repeat that behavior to get you know, it's a very, it's 
very drive oriented. Not that OCD stuff isn't, but but we're talking about another kind of a next level type of compulsive behavior here. And some people might dispute like there's not much different, but compulsive behavior with addiction is very debilitating because that need and that desire you're looking at like engaging in things that can be very, you know, can have a lot of consequences like losses, loss of marriages, loss of income, homelessness, you know, bankruptcy, you know, a lot of things like that. So, you know, when you look at process addiction, you're looking at ways that generally start off as pleasurable and even in a way avoidant of you know, unpleasant things in our life are just ways to get away per se, you know, and then they um, begin to progress into much more compulsive behavior with a lot of consequences associated with them. Mike, let's talk a little bit about who this can happen to. Can addiction happen to anybody or are there certain factors that might predispose certain people? So we're... I think one of the things that I maybe want to clarify a little bit, which is interesting, is dependence on something doesn't necessarily mean an addiction to it. So, for example, if I go to get surgery and I get prescribed painkillers and I take painkillers for 21 or 30 days just to manage the pain and I can stop, I can have a little withdrawal, but then I'm not going forward. Like I don't continue to use them and in any way. I mean, you can become dependent physically on a drug over that period of time, caffeine, Mm -hmm. the same way. Um, So that's a dependence, but an addiction is a compulsion, is a a need to continue to, it's an urge that is almost uncontrollable or feels uncontrollable. So with addiction, can anybody be prone to it? Yes. Mm -hmm. You know, dependence a lot of times will be the first step. And you see that with the opioid problem today and the opioid, you know, a lot of times it started with prescriptions for pain and then it, and then it progresses onwards. So, you know, yeah, anybody's prone to it. Usually if things such as if you have a family history of some sort of addiction, we know that alcoholism is very much part of a, of a link within families, but we also and we also know that with mental health. So a lot of times you may have substance abuse history in your family and mental health in your family. So you could have those two factors available, you know, present where you may have had an you may have had an issue with anxiety or depression, or you're having one. So you start to drink maybe to self medicate, but then. You have a family history of substance use, so you have a little bit more of a vulnerability to that. So those are two factors. You know, another one could be psychological as well beyond that. Trauma is a pretty good indicator of, of a lead into substance, prob- into substance problem or addictive type of behavior. Um, so those are three real big ones. Also, obviously... Things like socioeconomic, like if um, you struggle with money, you may have a tendency to, to, to cope by getting into more addictive behavior. 
We know that those are one environmental factors play a role, uh, relational factors, so problems in relationships. Sometimes you can get a perfect storm of these things happening kind of all at the same time, which makes you more predisposed to it or, or easier to get involved into that, that process. So what should someone do? Do they do people with addictive tendencies tend to recognize it in themselves first, or is it a family member or friend who recognizes it before they do? Well, either it's an either or. Sometimes, like people around them will recognize it before the before the person will. Sometimes a person will recognize it themselves first. But there's so much secrecy that goes with addiction that, like, they're not going to talk about it or they're going to rationalize to their to themselves that, like, oh, I can just change this or I can control this. Like, I can get this under control before anything really bad happens or people start to notice. But usually you will see it in things like students that are having problems in school. Teachers will notice certain things employers will notice certain things family members will notice certain things and the more things that begin to happen across those things then it's hard then it becomes more and more noticeable it usually kind of becomes like a domino per se or like all these things are going on and the person's trying to avoid it so it could be either one it just sort of depends so let's talk about seeking help there's lots of options out there in person, online, lots of places to go. What is your recommendation? Well, with addiction, there's more and more like Google's a pretty good search engine to find like a ton of treatment centers for a lot of these things. You know, with shopping addiction, like they're not really there's it's not characterized as an as a category in the DSM five. So there there's still not as much research out there as far as like what works treatment-wise. I mean, we have some ideas and, and, and employ some of them, such as like using counseling and CBT is a pretty good method that we're finding use, maybe even a combination with medication. But with addiction, it's, you can find a lot of treatment centers for substances, for sexual addictions, for things like that. But... You know, you can make, you can start with that. You can look for those things. You can, again, we talked last time that we met about going with to your personal, you know, your primary care provider is one of them. You know, you can, you can call, you know, a mental health place or a substance place for an appointment. Now, one thing that I, I'm a little reticent to say, but I'm going to, is... I I never really have been a big fan of people that come in my office. And I went online and I took this test and it says I have bipolar disorder, I have depression or whatever. But sometimes people just don't want to reach out and call someone or talk to them. So if you have any idea that there might be an issue, that's not a bad thing to do. But just remember, it's not diagnostic. It just might tell you. Like, maybe I need to reach out for help somewhere. So I would kind of say the ones I mentioned before that would be a better way to do it. But if you're very, very much opposed and you 
just are too scared to reach out any other way, you may want to consider something like that. Do you find, can people um, beat this on their own, quit cold turkey and, and just, just muscle their way through that addiction? Well, early on, there might be a shot <laughs> of people changing some behavior, like before it really gets into more of a compulsive nature. I mean, it's hard for, I mean, a lot of us in the profession are hesitant to say, yeah, people can make changes on their own. But the reality is, yeah, we can. And people do, but what it's always best to reach out for help first, you know, if you really do have anything. But sometimes people are able to make changes and they can they can learn how to deal with it on their yeah, own. Yeah, because I was going to say an addiction is not like a cold where you have it, you get through it, you get over it. Addiction, would you say, is just something you learn to manage? You learn how to cope. I mean, that's what treatment is about is... Yeah learning how to cope, you know, developing coping skills, getting treatment, learning ongoing maintenance. So, you know, seeking out help is is the best method because we know in research that it's primarily the, the most effective way. We also know that denial is a primary factor in addiction. So trying it on your own is usually a form of denial, but at the same time, starting somewhere is better than not starting. And sometimes if you do it on your own and find that you can't, then you have an idea that, okay, I do need help. So it it depends. A lot of times the earlier it's caught, the more likely that, you know, there's some likelihood they can. But we usually see that most of those efforts fall short because, like, we know that you need help with addiction. Mike, as we wrap this up today, why don't you give our listeners one last little bit of sage advice? <laughs> you know, if, you, if you're wondering that something's up, it's more than likely that it is. Sometimes it's hard to try to self-evaluate. So it's always best to, if you're the one that ha thinks you have the problem, you know, to call somewhere to get an appointment set up to talk further further about it if you if you're a family member or a friend call the professionals and ask about it you know you can always call out here to our outpatient psychiatry department and schedule an appointment to get an assessment to talk about this so you can either start treatment or find a referral to to the appropriate type of treatment for the addiction all right, Mike, thanks so much for talking with us. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you, Lori. If you want more information about Mike Tozer, including his office location and phone number, visit our website at sarahbush.org under Find a Doctor. You can search by name. That's Tozer, spelled T-O-Z-E-R, or specialty psychiatry. As Mike mentioned in the podcast, there are several in-person and online treatment options available, and a good starting place is with your primary care provider. Don't forget the information we present in this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for medical care. We hope you'll join us again, and be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you'll be the first to know when we add new shows. I'm your host, Lori Banks. Thanks for listening.